Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Really glad that you guys are here uh, to worship with us. As that Roland just showed, we are in the middle of a story called Epic Story, and we've been looking at the history of what God has done with humanity, the people that he's made, and we've been looking at stories and characters and themes and kind of tying all of that together into what, what does that mean uh, for us today. And anytime you approach the scripture, uh, it's important to realize the history, it's important to realize the context, but it's always for the purpose of asking the question, what does that mean uh, for me here and now and where I live and all that I'm experiencing? And so our, our goal in the series is to kind of present how God works with people to give you kind of a platform for how he also wants to work with you and how he wants to relate to you and how you can also uh, get to know him. And so we've been looking at uh, some of the main characters. We started with the life of Jesus and how his life and story really changed the whole uh, structure and purpose of the scriptures themselves. We've talked about Abraham. We've talked about uh, Moses. And today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Joshua. And there's a scripture in the New Testament that gives kind of a context for how we should look at the entire book of the Bible. How do we kind of approach it? What are the things that we should be thinking? And it's in Romans 15, 4, and it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So this passage in Romans 15 is giving us kind of where is the Bible fit into our life and our perspective? How should we think about it? And what it's saying is we should approach it as something that's giving us a tale and the story of how God wants to relate to us. And it should provide encouragement. It should provide instruction. In a way, it's kind of providing this path for which we can walk on as we enter into a relationship with God as well. And so the personal God that we've been talking about in the scriptures is the same God that exists today. And he wants to pursue the same relationship with us that he pursued with Abraham and with Moses and with Jesus and, and, and all the different characters that we've been talking about. And so we hope that you've been able to kind of take history and take maybe something that was written thousands of years ago and, and begin to ask the question, well, what does that mean? And so we're going to continue uh, to do that today. Today, we're going to talk a little bit kind of broader about the Christian life and how actually deciding to follow God is it's actually a battle. And it's something that it's very important to know before we follow Christ, what it's going to be like. And it's very important to know once we follow Christ, what is kind of the nature of how things will be. And I don't know if you've ever had expectations for something, but a lot of times we can have expectations for things to go a certain way. And when they don't go a certain way, we can really get buried under just the feeling that I didn't see that coming. And I've experienced that a lot in my life. I had a certain idea about how something would go, but because of the circumstance, because of the people involved, because of just my own self while it was happening, it didn't go as I thought. And so today I want to provide kind of a bigger perspective for how all the stories that we've talked about so far and how also in your own life, this idea of life being a battle uh, can help you specifically as you decide to follow God. And what you find in the scriptures is that faith is always necessary in walking with God. And faith is this idea that in the things that I don't see and the things that I don't know how they're going to turn out, I am going to trust that God is who he said he is and he will do 
what he said he will do. I can't see it because I don't know what's going to happen. But that's the idea of faith. It's, it's trusting that God is going to act and do based on who he is and his character, even when I don't see the, the outcome right here and right now. And that idea is connected to the promises of God. And that's this idea of we have to fight in faith the life that God promises. And I want to talk a little bit about what it means to enter into a relationship with God. Specifically, what, what does that kind of environment look like? And I want to kind of display it in terms of when you follow Jesus, he's the, he's the captain of, let's say, this ship. And we're, we're on the ship with him. And he's like leading us like a captain does through the waters of life. And sometimes it's calm water. Sometimes it's crazy and there's waves and it can, you know, we can kind of feel sick and overwhelmed by the things that are happening. But he's, he's leading us through it. However, oftentimes when we approach a relationship with God, we think that Christianity is the beginning of going on a cruise ship. Okay. Has anyone ever been on a cruise? Raise your hand if you've, if you've ever been on a cruise. I have been on a cruise and I have to admit like a cruise is one of the coolest experiences you could ever experience in your life. And that's going to be the main thing you're going to remember from today's message. Like Alex said, I need to go on a cruise. That's not what I'm saying, but it is maybe the one of the most awesome things that you could ever experience. When I went on a cruise, there's this idea that you just whatever you want, you can get whenever you want it. Like, what more do you want? Because you can get everything that you do want. I mean, that's just like with cruises. It's fun. You don't have to drive anywhere. They're just, they're just taking you. And it's like you go to the buffet line. You're like, do I want fish for breakfast? That's really gross. Why did I say that? Because I think I did that. But why not? Because you're on a cruise ship. And if you can think it and you want it, you can get it. That's the idea. It's like there to enjoy. You know, you lay on the sun, you, you do excursions, you have all sorts of fun, and it's like a cruise ship. And many times people think that when they become a Christian, they're just entering on this cruise ship where it's just like, Jesus is going to lead me in my life to the destinations that he wants me to go, and I'm going to swim with the dolphins. Because that's sometimes what you do on a cruise ship. But there's actually something when you read the scriptures, and I hope... What you've been able to see so far is there's the promises of God, which he says, like he's going to lead you. Yeah, he's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you. He's going to provide. All these are true. But the issue is, if we think that that's coming like it would as a cruise director, just kind of giving us whatever we want, we we actually can get really blindsided from what life really is like. And that's. Really no surprise to you, I'm sure. You guys know that even if you wanted your life to be like a cruise all the time, it's not, right? People don't go, like, people just, they don't experience things always how they want. People don't cooperate always in the way things don't work out, and it just, it can be messy. Well, the thing that you find in the scriptures is it's actually not a cruise ship that you're entering in as you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a battleship. And God is, he's the admiral and, and he's directing this ship. But the point of the battleship is you actually are doing battle. Now, this is where my expertise goes. Like I've been on a cruise, but I've actually never been on a battleship and I've never been in the Navy. And I, I don't really know what that's like. But I can imagine you would really have a hard time if you came 
Like maybe you got your sun hat and you got like your luggage and you got your like sunscreen and your little umbrella and you come on the battleship and you're like, guys, where are we going first? Could you imagine what would happen on the battleship? It's not a vacation. You're, you're doing battle. You're going to where you have to go to fight the battles that you have to fight. And it's work and you're always on. And that's really what it means to follow Christ. You no longer are just asking, God, just take me to the destinations you want me to go. And we'll just cruise together. It's actually, God, I'm enlisting on your ship into the battles that we're going to fight. And you promised to take care of me, but I realize that these might be battles. There's going to be a lot of battles that I didn't see coming that I'm going to have to fight. And there's going to be a lot of things that I'm going to feel defeated about. There's going to be a lot of things that I'm discouraged about. But I'm going to continue to fight on the battleship that you're leading us on. Now, do those create different responses? Right? Do they? I think so. If you think you're on a cruise ship, but it's actually a battleship, there's a lot of expectation there. And so what we've been talking about so far, a lot about the promises of God. Today, I want to talk a little bit about what does it kind of happen to experience some of those promises. And many times it's not just walking through a buffet line. You're like, well, I want a little bit of God's provision here. And I want a little bit of him taking care of me in this. It's really this idea of you you have to actually fight to follow God. Because the idea of faith is you can't see. But we're creatures that we want to trust in the things the most that we can see in front of us. When things are unknown, we get really nervous. That's how, like, sin messed everything up. When we don't know how things are going to work out, we we get stressed out. And we're stuck in in time and space, and we're fearful of the future. We're fearful of so many things around us. But when you realize that what we're in is a battle and not a cruise ship, it actually can free us up to enjoy the life God has for us here and now. And as it extends on into eternity. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of the transition from Moses, who we talked about last week, to Joshua. Now, Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. But because of some rebellion of the people and Moses' own heart, God told Moses that he was not going to enter into the promised land. He led them out of Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea, but he was not going to experience the blessing of the promised land. So Moses himself experienced the battle. He experienced the battleship mentality, leading God's people, even when he didn't want to, when he didn't feel equipped, leading them out of the hands of the Egyptians, who were the most powerful people of the time, leading them on this journey, and then also being in the desert. Once they escaped Egypt, they're in this, this desert. And this desert's not the promised land, but this is where God has them wait for, for 40 years. There's a transition from Moses to the next leader, Joshua. And Joshua takes over. We talked a little bit about Joshua, but as you can imagine, Moses has led the Israelites through some of the greatest trials, the highs and the lows. And they're just awaiting the promise that's coming, this promised land that God had commanded his people would get. But they're in the desert and Joshua takes over. And really the first instructions to Joshua are to not be fearful, to be strong, to be courageous. And what God is preparing Joshua for is you are going to be the person that's going to lead my people to the promised land. Moses brought them this far. 
out of slavery into the desert. And now you need to take them into the promised land. Now, at that point, Joshua could have felt like, well, this, this is going to be a, this is going to be a cruise ship. We've escaped all of this problems, all of these things. And we're just in the desert. It's just, we just have to walk over into the land. But what, what was happening at the time is the land that God had promised the Israelites was actually inhabited by people that did not fear God. And it was something that for to them to, ex, to experience the promise, they were actually going to have to fight for some things. And that's a lot how walking with God is, is for us to do what is right. And for us to really experience the promises of God, we have to fight for things. And a lot of times we have to fight against ourselves, the things that hold us back and other things that kind of prevent us from experiencing the promises that God wants to give us. So there's a couple battles that I want to talk about, which illustrate this idea of fighting in faith. Now, whenever you talk about a battleship and you talk about battles, a lot of times the room can be really divided because most of the time, this is like an overgeneralization, but bear with me. Most of the time, guys are really fired up about like fights, battles, like you had me at battleship, let's go, right? And then some, like maybe the women in the room are like, mm, battles, like I woke up on a Sunday to come here about battleship. And, but here's the thing about battles. I'm going to convince you that this mentality is actually helpful, but in any battle, there's keys that you have to know. The first is you have to know that you're fighting in a battle. Okay, right? Isn't that probably one of the most important? Because if you don't think you're fighting a battle, then you're not prepared to fight. And being prepared to fight is the key. So one thing was God's doing with the, the leaders in the Old Testament. He's, he's convincing them that you're in a battle. You're in a battle for faith. That's going to be the biggest battle of your life because you just want to believe what you can see. But there's so many things that I'm promising that you cannot see, but you're going to have to fight to believe are true. It's the same for us today. So first, we have to realize we're in a battle. Then, like in any fight, you have to know what or who you're fighting for. That's the motivation. People that fight for the freedom of a country are fighting for something bigger than themselves. They're fighting for the, the greater good of humanity, the greater good of their fellow people, the greater good of their family and their generations. So you have to know you're in a fight, then you have to know what you're fighting for, who you're fighting for. The second is you have to know what you're fighting against. You have to know who is on the other side, who's on the opposition. If you don't know the enemy you're facing, you're not equipped to fight. Even you may know you're in a fight, but if you're not equipped to fight, you're not going to be able to do it effectively. And then the last is that very point. Well, how do you actually fight effectively? And so today I'm talking about this battle of faith and the battle to actually claim the promises of God sometimes before we actually experience the promises of God. And that's what faith is. Knowing that God will come through even when you can't see it. And so the Israelites... I want to just kind of walk through a couple battles that they faced, and they, they're kind of two extremes. The first is the Battle of Jericho. This is one of the, the first battles where God is leading the Israelites against this fortified city of Jericho, and it's very like interesting, the method in which God commanded them to fight. Again, this is part of the journey of them claiming the promised land. And this is like unlike any military strategy I've ever heard. If you know the story of Jericho, you'll kind of know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know the story of Jericho, I just want to give a brief 
kind of overview of how this battle plan was going to go. So they knew they were in a battle because they had to go against the city of Jericho to claim it. All they knew is that it was a fortified city, and that alone was going to prevent them from being able to take the land. But God had a plan, and this is what he said. He says, okay, I want Joshua is going to lead all you people, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to march around the city, around the city walls, for six days. And you're going to, you know, shout a lot, and you're going to blow, blow trumpets, and that's going to be the initial strategy. Now, how many of you would like sign up for that battle? If you're just going to walk around and make noise. If I'm the Israelites, I'm thinking like, okay, God, remember, like we've been in the desert. Remember, we were like in Egypt. And now we're fighting with musical instruments and voices. Like, really? But for six days, they were commanded to do that. And the people were like, well, we're in a battle. God's leading us through Joshua. Let, let's do what he says. We've come this far. What are we going to do? Go back? You can imagine all the things that they're thinking. So this was the command, march around the city for six days, trumpets blaring. Then on the seventh day, the strategy was going to just kick, be kicked up a notch. The seventh day, they're supposed to walk around in the same fashion and then give one shout. And God said, when you give that shout, the walls of Jericho will come down. That, no, that, that's it. That was the plan. One shout. Now, if I asked you all to shout right now, like as loud as you could, I, I imagine we could maybe get the attention of like somebody walking through the courtyard. But if we give one shout, like I don't think anyone even on Hellman would know we're here, right? But they marched around the city and they gave one shout and the very walls came down. The reason that's important is God was showing them that I'm going to tell you what to do. And there's going to be times where you don't think that probably is the best. You may even have a better idea. But God is like testing who's the general, who's the leader, and will you follow what I say? So this is a very test of faith. Will God come through? And you can imagine as they shouted, the walls came down. I don't know exactly what they looked like, but I, if I was there, I'd be like, it worked. I can't believe it worked. You know, and just... And then some guys are like, I told you it worked. No, you didn't. You No, they were by the campfire. Like, we don't know all that stuff, but it worked. I can't believe it worked. And so the Israelites are beginning to realize, like, when God is on our side, when he tells us what to do and we do it, things happen that have never happened. There's never been a military strategist like this. So things were happening. Joshua 6.20 gives the account. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. So they claimed the promise. It was the first step. There's a fortified city that will be crumbled at the sounds of your voice. And then Second Chronicles 32.8 gives kind of a, a testament to, to what is happening, and this is what it says. It says, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So this is kind of this idea of what's happening. People without the Lord God leading them are just fighting on the resources they have. But God's people fight with God's resources. And what God wants to do, he will do. And that's what he's trying to teach them. His promises 
will be fulfilled if you obey and trust him in faith. His promises will be fulfilled. And so the Israelites are kind of gaining the steam of like, wow, we're, we're this people that things are happening and we're capturing enemies and we're gaining ground and we're getting closer to, to the promised land. And there's another battle, the battle of Ai. And this battle was actually the opposite. And this is when begin, things begin to kind of unravel a little bit where they realize that if they trust in the wrong thing, namely themselves, uh, they're going to have problems. And so God commanded them in the city of Ai that they needed to take all of the plunder and give it to the treasury of the Lord. Basically, don't take anything for yourself. I have given you this battle, and so I want you to give it to the treasury of the Lord. However, one of the men took some of the plunder for himself. And you could think, like, with this battle and how they're seeing just them overcome their opponents, it's like, well, the, you know, we worked hard for this. Like, I just want to take this little piece for, for me. I, you know, I know what God said, but I just, just this little thing. We don't know what it was exactly. It was just some plunder. And he wanted to take it for himself. But that was an instance of they didn't obey what God had said. They wanted to hold a little bit for themselves. And again, that's the idea of faith, right? Because if you're giving all that you've captured to God, there's this thing, well, what, what about me? I could use some plunder. I could use some material possessions. I could use maybe something that I could trade for some money to provide for my family. But again, what God's doing is he's allowing people to see that you have to trust in something. And you need to trust in me, your God, your general. And so in this story in Joshua 7, um, this is beginning to happen in 7.3. You'll see it on the screen. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, this is them kind of thinking through how the battle is going to go. Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So they're, they're evaluating the enemy. They're looking at like this people of I. And they come back, and the account is basically like, most of the people can sleep in. Okay, let's just take a few thousand. We're going to go up. We, we got this. This is going to be a piece of cake. Remember how we like dealt with Jericho and all those walls, and we just shouted. This is nothing like this. These people have few men. We, we've got this. And so their confidence begins to be in them. So basically, just, just stay home. A few of us, we'll, we'll take care of it. We're strong. We're, we're mighty. Okay? Again, things are flowing differently. And then Joshua 7, the next verse says this. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Very interesting. Super confident. Let's limit our attack. Let's kind of hold back. And you see this confidence they had in themselves. And what happened? It all fell apart. A few of their men of I took out some of the Israelites. And I love this description. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. It was just, they placed their confidence in themselves and it like melted away. Nothing lasted from confidence in themselves because they realized their resources were not enough. They needed God's help. So they got back on track with God. They realized, okay, God, you're right. You've told us to do things a certain way. You told us to trust you in certain ways. We didn't. And it kind of stemmed from this idea. They, were melt, they, they realized they were 
past themselves. They were out of their own resources, their own strategy. They said, okay, let's get back. Let's get back to promising God, I mean, trusting God in his promises that he's going to take care of us. And then Joshua 8, 1 kind of goes forward and says, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. And they won the battle. But again, they won because God gave it to them. They won because they trusted God and his resources. And when I'm talking about the battleship versus the cruise ship, that's really where you see it come out in these battles. There's this idea of as we face things that we're in the desert of life and we hope for things to happen that have not yet happened. We have to trust that God is the one that's going to make it happen. God is the one that I can trust. Not my own strength, not my own resources. In the battle, I have to trust that he will come through for me. So in these battles, they have actual enemies. The people of Jericho, the people of Ai. I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about, again and again in scriptures, you find about battles. And we don't really face those battles in the same way. But we do face battles with real enemies, and these enemies prevent us from experiencing a lot of the joy that comes from following Christ. So I want to spend the rest of my time today with you guys talking about how do we battle the enemies that oftentimes make us kind of fall away from the promises of God? What are the things that can take us out? And it begins again with knowing who we fight for. We fight for God and his commands and then knowing what we're fighting against. So I want to talk about that. Knowing our enemies helps us to battle effectively. That's a key idea of warfare and that's a key part of also the Christian life. Knowing what we're up against helps us to battle effectively. I don't know if you've ever read The Art of War. It's written by Sun Tzu. It's considered maybe the, the greatest like, military uh, like book ever written. And there's a quote that he wrote that I thought was interesting. This is what it says. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. You guys with me on that? Like, the art of war, figured it all out. He's basically saying that it's key to know your own strengths, your own weaknesses. And then it's key to know the strengths and weaknesses of those that you may have to fight against. Now, this is in the context of war. But this is connected even spiritually to this greater idea that knowing your enemy and knowing yourself is one thing. But it can't be removed from who you fight for. Just like the Israelites, who they fought for was everything because the resources came from God. And so to fight for victory means we have to rely on God's resources. So I want to go over you that the three enemies, the three main enemies that every Christ follower faces. And here they are. The first is, is the flesh. In the scripture, that, that term is used a lot, and that describes the tendency in us to sin that remains even after conversion. Even after you become a Christian, you are still going to do things that represent the flesh. And the flesh is, is 
stubbornness or selfishness or wanting your own way at the expense of somebody else. The flesh comes out and saying something harsh or wanting to put yourself first, cutting somebody off on the freeway. You ever done that? Or how do you react when somebody cuts you off on the freeway? If you want to see the flesh drive in Southern California. That's the flesh. It's this tendency like I'm supposed to merge. And the other person's like, yeah, you're supposed to merge, but not with me. Right. That's the flesh. I experienced this. This is like embarrassing, but I experienced this just a few weeks ago. I was at Costco and I've talked to you guys about Costco before. Like Costco is kind of like the Barrett field trip. We like to go to Costco. We never expect to buy everything. We always walk out with a cart, right? You know that experience. That's what Costco like, but Costco has samples. The key to Costco is knowing the exact time to walk around so you can get the samples as a little snack before your hot dog. If you've never been to Costco, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but they're open today. You can go check it out. I was at Costco a few weeks ago and like I've trained my kids, you know, you need a certain radar. Speaking of battle, you know, you need a, a, a radar to know where those samples are coming out and like kind of a predict like that's five minutes. That's four minutes. That's one minute. That's 30 seconds. And you have to go accordingly. OK, 30 seconds. We'll wait for the five. You know, you guys don't do that. Anyways. Long story short, long story long, um, there's this packaged sample at Costco. Now, packaged samples, like if it's like a fruit roll-up or a Rice Krispie treat, there's no prep. So you don't need to wait because they just open the box and they give it to you. So, you know, those are strategic too. So the other day I'm walking and I'd gotten like a lot of samples of the kids and we're enjoying life. And there's this woman who's like sweeping the floor by her sample and it's a packaged thing. So I'm like, I'm just going to walk up and... See, I think it was like a Rice Krispie treat. And I walk up to her and she's sweeping and it's like, hey, you know, can, can we get like a sample? And she's like, sorry, it's going to be like about 15 minutes. But I, I had an expectation like it's packaged, like you don't have to prep it. You just open the box and you give it to us because like we want it because we're on a cruise ship. And so she says it's going to be 15 minutes and like my kids are with me. And I'm literally like, it's just a packaged snack. <laughs> she looked at me like, like, really? Like, you're, you're busting my chops? Like, and I, I just was like, it's just a packaged snack. <gasps> and I was frustrated, and then I was walking away, and, I, and it was like God, God just said, are you serious right now? <laughs> like that, that, that's what I heard. Like, God said, like, are you being serious right now? And then I thought, like, but I like Rice Krispie Treats. And I was like embarrassed that was the flesh. I wanted it. And I thought like her not wanting to give it to me because I wanted it, like that made no sense. Because I wanted it. That's the flesh. That's really embarrassing, but that actually real life. May that be an encouragement to you. <laughs> the world. Here's the other enemy. A system of beliefs and values that are contrary to God's values. The world many times can be seen in the culture. It's. It's our definition of what cool is. It's our definition of what success is. But oftentimes the world's values are contrary to what God says is important. There's a survivalist mentality that's in our culture and in our world. That's the idea that really to take care of things means you need to look out for yourself. You ever heard that we're in a dog eat dog world? Okay, that's, that's not found in the scriptures. 
That's a world mentality. Like, take care of it or it's going to be taken from you. Look out for yourself. No one else will. That's the world and its values. And the world and the flesh work together because when you want something and everyone around you and the culture is like, well, yeah, you want it. You go get it. You're number one. And then your flesh is like, I am number one. I want a Rice Krispie Treat. That wasn't the world at all. That was just me. Like the world didn't influence that. But they do work together. It's the values. And, you know, when you turn on shows and you see who the heroes are, you have to evaluate, like, is that hero a true hero according to what God says a hero is? But we're inundated with all these values. And you have to ask the question, do these values represent what the Bible said are the right values? And oftentimes they don't. But that's the world and it pulls at us. It, it draws us in. We want to look a certain way. We want to act a certain way. We want to be a certain person because in the world that seems like the kind of person that's liked, the kind of person that's accepted, the kind of person that's successful. And there's this pull in us where we don't want to be contrary to what the world says is cool. We learn this at a young age and we just live it out in adult life. We do. And then the third enemy is the devil. And that's Satan and invisible but real demonic spirits who impact us individually. Now, we don't talk about this a lot in the West, but in many parts of the world, this idea of the, the spirit world is very real. And in the scriptures, it's very real. There's influences from Satan and the demonic that actually want to come against people that follow Jesus. It's true and it's real. And this is an enemy that comes against us. And all these three tend to appeal to us in different ways. And I want to describe how these work together briefly, because this is a part of the battle that we're in. Uh, this is an illustration that Harold Bullock, who's a part of the 17-6 network, he's started a lot of churches uh, throughout the country. And he's a mentor to a lot of really godly people that some of you may know, like Pastor Randy and he describes kind of how these enemies work together. And there's an illustration that our Oni and Dale like illustrate. And here's how these work together. So the world is like a boat. See, back to the boat idea. Like that could be a cruise ship if you want, but it's a little harder to maneuver. Okay. But the world is, is this boat that's headed in a certain direction based on the values of the world. What's, what's cool, what's important, what's not. And it's just got this path to it. What's important the values of the world. It's going in a certain direction. The flesh, that's us, that's me and you. That's the tendency to sin. We're like a skier, a water skier behind the boat of the world. And we're getting in a certain direction. The world's taking us and we're getting sucked in a lot of times to the values of the world. And it comes through the media. And it comes through our upbringing. It comes through many different places. But we're just, we're along for this ride. And our flesh is like, yep, this makes sense. We're going to go down this path where I'm the center of my universe. Because that's where we're headed. But there's somebody that's actually driving the boat. And that's the devil. He's taking the world in a certain direction. That's why in the scriptures he's talked, described as the prince of this world. He's leading the world. He promotes the values. 
He wants certain things like survival and independence, things that are just, we have enough in ourselves. We don't need God. You find this in, in the world, but it's driven by the enemy himself. See, many times we just think, it's just me. I just got to do better. I got to think better. I got to be better. What we fail to see is that we're actually taken on a journey that represents values that don't represent the kingdom of God, but the world that is actually driven by the prince of the world who is, who is Satan. And in closing, I want to just give you a brief overview of how do you fight against each of these. And these are all real. We experience them on a daily basis in different forms. But the idea is, how do you actually get off of that ride? Well, you, it begins where you have to drop the rope and no longer follow on the weight that it's headed. So here's, here's how you fight in faith against these three enemies. The first is to deal with the flesh in the scriptures. You always have to walk in the spirit. And the spirit represents God's ways. It represents God living in you. That's what the Holy Spirit is there for. The only way you can counter the flesh is not to do harder, or to be better. It's to actually walk with God and rely on him and his resources. That's what those battles represented with the Israelites. It wasn't about the number of their men. It wasn't about their understanding. It was about the power of God. And that's really his spirit in us. And there's Galatians 5, 16 through 25. You can read that. I'm not going to go through these scriptures, but I encourage you to read those on your own. To deal with the world, you need to let God's word transform your views and values. The only way to not get pulled by the current of what's cool, the current of what's popular, the current of what success is, is to actually allow God to define that for you. Not what you've grown up thinking. Not what you've grown up experiencing, but allowing God's word to give you new experiences, allowing God's word to give you new ideas. And that's what it does. It transforms us from the inside out. But the only way to not get pulled by that current is you actually have to allow the current of the scriptures to begin pulling you. And to do that means you have to engage in the word of God on a regular basis. You have to read it. You have to begin to understand it. You need to get around people that can help you learn from it. You need to ask questions and learn how to get your answers from it. When you face problems, you need to know how to look at it and figure out how does God's word help me in this problem? As you begin to do that, the current of the word of God begins to pull you in a different direction. So to fight the flesh, you have to walk in the spirit. To fight against the world, you have to let God's word transform you from the inside out. And then to deal with the devil, you have to submit to God and use the spiritual armor when attacked. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, there's this description of what the spiritual armor is. If you've never read that, I encourage you to do it. That could be one of the things that can begin to transform you. There's these different parts of the armor that we can put on as Christ followers that God gives us to fight effectively. And each one of those represents a certain way of thinking and a certain line of acting that helps us to battle. But each of these we have to engage in. And that's why if we think it's a cruise ship. We're just thinking, well, I just want to get in the buffet line and just get a suntan. But this is active. This is a battle. 
But this is the fight of faith. Believing that God will help us to overcome our own flesh. God will help us and pull us in the right direction contrary to the world. And that God will help us to even overcome the temptation of the evil one and any spirits that may try to hassle us. That's the fight in faith. There's a kind of a scripture that, that encourages me in Hebrews 6. I want to close with this. It says this. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. It's talking about the people of faith that have gone before. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there you see, inherit the promises of God. To do that, it's a battle. But we have hope because of the people that have gone before us like Joshua, like Moses, like Abraham. People that have fought to trust God, not with what they see, but with what they don't see. The next step today, as I wrap up, the band's going to come up. The next step today is to think through what's maybe the enemy that you need to fight right now in your own life. Is it your flesh and maybe some of the things that you just really want really bad and you just can't let go of them? Is it the world and you realize that you're just getting pulled in a current that actually is not allowing and helping you to really grow in your relationship with God? Or maybe you're just facing some deep discouragement and you feel like you're just under attack and that maybe is the fight against the enemy, the devil. I want to encourage you, the scriptures that I put there are ways that you can begin to fight. But again, it starts with recognizing that you're you're in the battle. So you can you can circle one of those. And I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to read the scriptures on each of those points this week and begin to ask, how does God want me to battle? And what am I fighting right now based on what I don't see? And how can I trust God in the unknown of what I face? So I'm going to do that, and I I encourage you guys to do that as well. Before I pray, I just want to give a heads up uh, to shift gears. Tomorrow, my family and I are going to England. And so we're going to be visiting family. Uh, My grandma, she's 91 years old. She's a, a wise woman that really walks with God. And we had an opportunity... To, to go see her, and so we decided this would be a good time to do that as a family. We don't know if we'll get another chance to, to do that. We're going to be gone for about a week and a half. Uh, we leave tomorrow night, and we have three kids, and we could use your prayers as we head out of the country. Uh, we're really excited to do this uh, as a family. And next week, I won't be here, but Jeep uh, Underwood is going to speak, and so thank you, Jeep, for doing that. And he's going to be speaking uh, further in epic story, talking about uh, leadership. Uh, The next week, the 15th, I'll be back the Friday night, but Randy will be speaking on the Sunday because I actually don't know if I'll even know what time it is or if I'll be coherent, but I should be here, Lord willing, on the 15th and and Pastor Randy will be speaking. And so uh, this is the preview for next week. Leadership, you'll see there. And then how does God work through human authority and what are the implications uh, for following it? And so appreciate your prayers as we head out. And when I get back, I'll look forward to giving you guys the report. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you lead us as a general and you also care for us like a father. And in you, we actually can have both. We have your leadership and your strength and your authority and we have your help and your love and your comfort. And God, help us to just recognize the battles that we face and to rely on your resources to fight them 
And God, I just pray for anyone that's just disillusioned or discouraged today that they'll recognize that as even part of the attack and even part of just the battle they're in. And God, for those of us that are just struggling to trust you in faith with the things that we don't see, God, help us to trust how you've come through for us before and God, how you'll continue to come through for us as we face the things in the unknown. So we, we thank you for your goodness to us in the name of Lord Jesus. Amen.